church planner, one of the pastors at City Presbyterian Church. We are also a church plant. We just started recently as well, and so we are together in this, uh, trying to figure it out all along as well. And we are with you. We are praying for you and with you, and I'm friends with Treb, and, and so uh, we've been tracking with y'all and what God's doing here and excited to see what he's doing. Just so you know a little bit about me, I grew up in southwest Missouri, came to Christ in college through the ministry of the Navigators, and then moved to Stillwater, lived a couple years and worked for the Navigators. Some of you probably have heard of the Navigators. So. And then I went to seminary in St. Louis, Covenant Theological Seminary, graduated from there with an MDiv, and then moved to Norman in 2001 and was a campus minister for 10 years at OU. And then we recently moved up to, to Oklahoma City, downtown, starting a church called City Presbyterian Church. And I bring you greetings from them. And, and hopefully I can take them greetings from you. Is that true? Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Um, we are going to talk today about the Word, the Word of God, the Bible. A great, amazing topic. And I don't have a, a long passage to read today. I'm going to read, or really probably quote, because I don't know if I can find it fast enough, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. So you've heard of that scripture. Uh, Paul writes this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want to remind you also of Joshua 1.8. Joshua wrote, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. As we prepare for that time, let's let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be with us now as we look at your word. You are the word. Speak to us now. Be present so that we could hear you. Many of us have wandered from your word, forgotten it, or... We certainly doubt it. We're coming to this moment from a ton of different places, literally, but also figuratively in our hearts. We're coming from a place of confusion or anger, frustration, hesitation. Perhaps we haven't heard from you in a, a long time and we're surprised even to find ourselves here. Uh, Perhaps we doubt that we would even hear from you today. Some of us are thrilled to be here. We heard from you already this morning. Expect to hear from you again. Lord, in all these places and all of our hearts, come in. Through the word, through the sacraments, through our fellowship, through our prayers. Speak to us now, we pray and ask this in your name. Amen. I grew up in church in in southwest Missouri. I grew up in a Methodist church, you know, a normal, just typical church. Was there every Sunday. It was actually a really great church. But I went to college at the University of Missouri. And I was so excited when I went to college. This is 1989, you know, I went to college. And and I wanted to to meet girls and and go to class a few times a week. And uh, I was really also thrilled to read books. I, I was just sort of getting into learning and reading. And I remember walking into the bookstore, the, the University of Missouri bookstore, a lot different than my little hometown library. 
And I, I saw all these books and I started reading, you know, more in, in current events and topics and, and things that, that had interested me, but I didn't even know. And I remember I began, I'm going to pick up a book about Jesus. I'm in the university bookstore and I picked up just the, the one that was most prominently displayed. There were hundreds of copies and I picked it up and I started reading. And that book told me that none of the things that I had grown up believing were true. None of them. That Jesus actually hadn't been born from the parents who, who I had taught he was. And, and that he hadn't done any of the miracles that were attributed to him. And, and the things that he had said weren't said by him. And mostly that the Bible was completely inaccurate and not to be trusted. Now, we've, we've all heard things like that, and, and I remember when I first heard that, my world was rocked. I had no confidence in the Bible itself, and therefore I didn't have confidence in my faith and in Christianity. And that message that I read about, about the historical Jesus, to separate the historic Jesus from the real Jesus or the Jesus of faith from the actual one, that's common. We hear that idea in the newspapers. I mean, you know, Time magazines all the time have articles like this. It's in the news and it's in the movies. The Da Vinci Code is based on that exact premise. It's in our popular culture as a campus minister, I came across this all the time in religious studies departments. This is what people who know stuff believe and talk about. And the rest of us are just sort of dummies because we still believe the old way. And so the question this morning is, can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible real? Can we have an intelligent conversation in 2013 in Oklahoma City? Can we be thinking people? And still believe this book? Or do we have to say, oh yeah, that's just stuff, and I believe this, and really we can't talk about it. In other words, will the Bible actually defeat us? This is an idea of things that defeat us in our faith. You know, these are conversations that, that we don't want to have with folks. Because we know that we're going to lose before we even start. Some of those are science. Some of them are hypocrisy. The Bible. Should it defeat us? And we're going to look today about clues. I'm not going to answer every single question, okay? This isn't a lecture, really, about why you can trust the Bible. But we're going to look at the clues to see if it is trustworthy and if we can trust it and if we can find Jesus in it. So I have three points uh, this morning, probably normal to have three points. I would imagine uh, I would have to give up some credibility if I didn't have three points. But the three points are, are these. You can write them down if you're taking notes. The uncredible, the credible, and the incredible. You can... You can easily follow along. The uncredible, the credible, and the incredible. Okay, so let's start with the uncredible. And if you're a, a skeptic or if you're doubting the Bible, this is like your point. I'm going to speak for you. 
today. And so we're all just aware that there are reasons to doubt this. Okay, let's, let's talk about a few of those. The first is this. The Bible is long and boring. Okay, we can just admit, you know, there are 800,000 words in this book. That's long. The type is really small. If you went to the, the, the bookstore, you would not pick out a book that's laid out with this many words on a page. You would not want it. And, and, and we, some of us plug away. We've read the Bible, and we, we get going, and we, you know, we start reading. And there's some pretty cool stuff in Genesis. And, and then we get to Exodus. There's you know, this uh, crossing of the Red Sea and, and the slavery, and these plagues are very exciting. And then there's Leviticus. Tedious. It, it is like the Bible reading plan buster. Many people jump off at that point. There are exciting moments in the Bible, and there's massive, huge high points. But there's also lists, and genealogies, and laws, and it's boring at times. We can admit that. If you do read, it's also confusing. Can we just agree that that is confusing? Uh, You know, this is a... It seems like a galaxy far, far away. We're talking about things and peoples and people groups and customs that that are not connected to us here and now. It feels very off-putting at times when you're reading about things that, that are weird and gross or strange. And, of course, the people are bad. They're doing bad things all the time. These are God's people that are doing this stuff? Goodness gracious. Uh, God himself can seem weird when he's doing things and, and interacting with the people. It's hard to understand what it is that he's saying about men and women and leaders. Um, you know, there's things in here about slavery, uh, sacrifices. Of course, we also have translations and interpretations. It is, wow. Many of us never give it a chance. And and our interaction with the Bible isn't really as a first-hand source. We come into contact with the Bible through coffee mugs or T-shirts or slogans. And someone's co-opting a verse or a theme of the Bible for their cause. We see it on Facebook or whatever. And so that doesn't always sit well with us. Let me make a couple other points about the uncredibility or the seeming uncredibility of the Bible. Uh, Scholars say that it's filled with mistakes and errors. Scholars also like to talk about how there are other holy books that didn't make it into this book. Uh, There was some selection process that wasn't fair. You'll hear about these other Gospels. There's one called the Gospel of Thomas. There are a group of scholars, and they call themselves the Jesus Seminar. They're, they're incredibly uh, prestigious scholars. And for example, on the way this goes, this idea, this thought process, is they will vote. And you know how in your Bibles, a lot of times you'll have the red letters of Jesus. When he talks, it's in red. So the idea is that they're going to vote on those red letters to see if they're actually red, to see if Jesus actually said those things. And so they've got a, a red bead or a vote, a pink, you know, like maybe not, 
probably, probably, but maybe not, less sure. And then there's a gray bead or vote. Definitely, probably not, but still maybe. And then there's a black vote. No, Jesus did not say this. You with me? So red means he said it. Black means he didn't say it. And there's a couple, you know, variations in the middle. And, and they got together. And this is like super prestigious in a, in a room. And they debated and they made presentations. And they finally got down to voting, for example, on the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. When they got down, they were, well, what do you think? That how many letters or how many words of the Lord's Prayer were read? Two. They were sure that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus would have said, Our Father. And after that, pink, maybe, lots of gray, and lots of black. It all goes together with this scientific, modernist, rational, defeater mentality. So we have our personal doubts, but there's also scholarly doubts and cultural doubts. And we sort of wonder, really, can we trust this? The uncredibility. But let's talk about the credibility of the Bible. And maybe you can see some of these doubts that you've had yourselves, or certainly you know people who have these doubts, who have said these very things, and we're like toast whenever they bring it up because we don't know the answers. I want to give you that there are some handles for you, and and maybe you won't be able to take these and, and talk to someone, but I want you to know there's a reason. There is credibility to this book and to these scriptures. And I can't make it not boring. Okay, I can't do that. And I can't clear up all the confusion and and answer every question that gets you off track. But I can give you some confidence. And let's just start here, that the Bible has withstood the test of time. This is the most published book of all time. For a reason. It's still currently, you know, as many people as have Bibles, and and as as much in this culture is saying this is no good of a book, it's being published 25 million copies a year. Just for some perspective, uh, Harry Potter 7, the most anticipated last massive book of Harry Potter, that, that sold 44 million copies which is wildly successful. Hunger Games, you know, it's waning a little bit, but that sold 23 million copies of all time. And topping the charts actually connected to this very topic is the Da Vinci Code. 80 million copies. That's a lot of Da Vinci Code. The Bible has sold 50 billion copies, dwarfing, dwarfing those numbers. People are still reading it. They're still buying it. It's going into more and more languages, not fewer and fewer. People are gaining more and more access to this book. It has withstood the test of time. It is not going anywhere. should give you some confidence. Now, it's also not filled with errors, It's not filled with errors. Um, There's no other ancient book like 
this one, really. Um, let's talk about the context then. Uh, for instance, there are about a hundred errors, and we'll talk about those, um, about, in about 30,000 manuscripts that we have. This is getting a little historical, technical, but you can track with me. Uh, so this is very few errors in a huge number of manuscripts. Now remember, these are hand copying. People are copying these by hand. And they are taking a, a ton of care to do this. But there are sometimes some mistakes that happen. But those mistakes, because there are so many manuscripts, get caught. And we know what they are. We'll come back to that. These manuscripts are very close to the original writing of the documents themselves. You know, we don't have the originals. We have the copies that are made, but those copies are within a hundred years of when the originals were written. For example, Homer, and I think we all believe that he existed, and we trust sort of the writings of Homer. We have 640 manuscripts of ancient Homer, and the closest one to the originals are 600 years. Okay? So there's a gap of 600 years between the first one that we have and the original when we think that they were written. Plato, seven manuscripts, and the closest gap is 1,200 years. The Bible, we have 5,500 manuscripts, and the gap is less than 100 years. You see, see that matters. That matters to know that we can trust this. In the, in the Bible, when they were discovering and, and, and really putting it together, what would be in it, it selected itself. It wasn't like a bunch of people in a room saying, oh, this is in, this is out. It selected itself over time, and the people... Uh, realized what was true. It really wasn't highly debated. It spans, the Bible spans time, people, languages. It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. It has uh, writings that are uh, histories and stories and poetry and persuasive speeches and letters. It talks about ethics and laws and rituals and the inner lives of people, forgiveness. And, and, and also, if you read it, it's remarkably honest. This isn't just like a public relations campaign. Many authors over thousands of years in different contexts, 25 million copies a year. The Jesus Seminar, which I mentioned, has a circular reasoning behind it, too. If they're looking in a room and saying, these are the things that Jesus couldn't have said, the reason why they're making that decision is because normal Jewish rabbis wouldn't say these things. No kidding. That's the point. <laughs> That's the reason why people noticed. If he had said the standard line, it would have never received the attention and he would have never 
gone to the cross. You, you read when Jesus is talking and he's saying unusual things, everyone knows they're unusual. They freak out because they have not heard anyone say these things before. That's why we know about it. It wasn't the standard line. It was remarkable. It was new. It was shocking. Scholars are actually finding that the old view to trust the Bible is correct. Let's just talk about the Gospels for, for one moment. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus, his own life. You know, these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and again, these are very closely written to when the events described happened. Within a generation. Uh, it is, it's very easy to understand that, that Jesus died in the 30s A.D., and that these were written before 70 A.D. And so they are really close. And, and also these books, the, sort of at the heart of the Bible, could be substantiated. Remember, uh, the people were still living who are in these books. There wasn't time for legends to grow. And also the people were around who could invalidate those very legends. I could easily start telling you about when I was in college and there was some dramatic football games. I know that's hard to believe at the University of Missouri in the 90s, but there were. Remember, you may have heard about the fifth down game against Colorado. It was super famous. And I was there. Not only I was there, but I was on the team. Now I was on the sideline. But I was on the team. And you know what? That's not true. It's not true that I was on the team. I can give you just enough facts to make you think I believe. You know, that's not a great story. But, you know, I'm trying to save time here. But the thing about it is that even though that was 20 years ago and none of you were there, people were there. And you could find out. You could look at the records and say, you know, I'm not seeing Doug Server on this list. You could start Facebooking and say, hey, you know, the pastor said this. Does anyone know? And you could figure out that was a lie because there are people who were there. See, that matters so much. Our faith, our trustworthiness of the Gospels, that people were there. And this could be checked up. There's four authors that give those stories, true stories of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Four different takes on the same thing because they were there or they knew people that were there. And I'll never forget when I was in college and I was talking to a young lady, a young woman who had never really read the Bible. And she was reading it for the very first time. She had grown up, you know, we're talking in Missouri. She didn't know this stuff. And she called me, I'll never forget, called me that night, uh, one night and said, this is so awesome. I'm like, oh. She said, do you know that there are four stories that are written about the same thing, but they're all different? I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did know that. Why is that amazing enough to call me at midnight? I said, I think it's true. If it were the same thing, she was a journalism major. If, if it were the same exact thing, 
I don't think I'd believe it. But four people are telling the same story with their own personality. I think it's true. That was the young woman who eventually became my wife, Julie Halbert at the time. I was glad to hear her say that. Helped my faith to remember how remarkable that actually is. There is a credibility to the scripture, and I'm wondering if you can believe that credibility today. There is some uncredibility, and we can be honest, like, you know, it's still tough. But there are reasons to believe and reasons to trust that the Bible is accurate and trustworthy and credible. Let's move on to our third point then. If it's credible, what about can it be incredible? You remember in 2004, the story of a a husband and his wife and three kids. His name was Bob Parr. I'm hearing about Bob Parr, his wife Helen Parr. And they had three kids. Their kids' names were uh, Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack. Bob, Bob Parr was an insurance agent. He didn't really like his job at all. And, and the other thing about Bob Parr, he was also a superhero in The Incredibles. Okay, yeah, now. It clicks. I, I did hear about Bob Parr. And it, we are not all superheroes, of course, I think. Uh, But we love hearing about people that can do incredible things even though they're normal or they started off normal or they figure out out of the normalcy that there's something different and something off and there's a special quality or talent or ability. And sometimes those are superhero qualities and abilities, right? We love those stories, but also sometimes they're just other things. And they still end up to be incredible to us. How can the Bible be that for us? How can it move from just being normal to incredible? I want to give you just a couple suggestions as you read the Bible to to stay away from what what I would call chronological snobbery. It's easy. We, We tend to have this, like the people back then, they didn't know what they were talking about. You know, they didn't understand stuff. We today are sophisticated and smart. We would never do those things. That is just a wrong way of of thinking, to think about those people or those times or those views as if these people were not smart and didn't know how things worked. No, it's it's not the way it was. There are people like you and me in their own time. And so we want to read the Bible for what it says. And then what it means to us. So give it its due. Allow it to be what it is to those people. Figure out and try and read it to what did it mean to them, and what they were thinking, although you can't exactly know that before you start making it personal. Because that stuff in this book mattered to them. You know, these boundary lines may not matter to you, but I know that you have boundary lines that do matter to you. Someone puts a fence on the wrong side of your property, you are ticked. So you need to know where those boundaries are. We're all the time fascinated with our own genealogy. So it's not crazy that they would be in the Bible. 
Now, they're not yours. You're not, like, getting online to check out somebody else's genealogies, but it's not true that they don't matter. All right, the Bible is a big book about God and his messed up people. So don't just write off the parts that you don't like. Give courtesy when you interact with something that you don't like, that you are going to learn from someone and someone else. And we have friends in different cultures from ours, and sometimes they do things that threaten us or disturb us or sort of offend us. That doesn't mean you just lock the door on them and say, get out of here. You can figure out that there was a cultural difference that you didn't know and they didn't mean to offend. Or you can see that actually did mean to offend. There there are ways that this relationship works as you get to know the person over time and give the Bible that same courtesy. I want to also, in the same vein, say... Jesus is at the center of this book. He's in and through every single thing. And so when you get off track or upset about something that you read about gender or nations or or something that you don't like, remember that the main point is about Jesus. Let's deal with him first. These other things we can figure out along the way, but don't give up Jesus because of something that upsets you. It's not a fair trade at all. The gospel is at the center. And we don't want to discount discount the gospel. We want to start with Jesus and then figure out how all of this book has to do with him. So we read broadly. I'm not just saying only read the gospels. Read broadly because he read broadly. And all of these things in this whole book point to him, figure out how that's true. So we keep the main thing, the main thing. That these defeaters don't have to be scary dragons, they can be sort of annoying mosquitoes. Still annoying. They're not breathing fire any longer, defeating our conversations and defeating our Faith. The Bible is not a book of stories. It has stories, but it's about one story, God redeeming his people. The Bible is not a book of rules. It has rules. Every relationship has rules. The Bible is not a book of cultural history. There are so many historical things in there. Uh, the gospel has a history. and We can find ourselves in that history. The, the Bible is not a book of cultural tidbits. has those. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's about the all-powerful, almighty, holy God coming and becoming a person in Christ. That Jesus came and he was born and he suffered under justice to pay the debt, to make the sacrifice that we should make but cannot pay for ourselves. The the Bible is about this creator God who created the whole universe becoming a baby in a womb, being born, fulfilling those rules of relationships. 
The Bible is a book that's about crazy, crazy people. Messed up people like you and me. Who need rescuing like you and me. Who need a prophet and a priest and a king like you and me. And that Jesus is that prophet, priest, and king, that redeemer of God's people. You know, it's not 800,000 words. It's about the word. Our goal isn't to be following the Bible. It's to be following the person we find in the Bible. To be following Jesus. And the Bible shows us and tells us that that word, those words, that word became flesh made his dwelling among us. And that's transformative. It is incredible. And there are so many actually incredible things in the Bible. When you read about Noah, it's incredible. When you read some of the the rules and regulations, they're incredible. When you read about Leviticus, it's incredible, really. There are things that are incredible and confusing, you know, these imprecatory psalms. We have to deal with those and the sacrifices and the temple and the regulations and the conquests and the campaigns. Yes, I'm not trying to wipe any of that away. Fair enough, but let's talk about it. Those are great conversations to have. They don't have to be scary as long as Jesus is at the center of those things of our salvation. David writes in Psalm 118, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. And there is salvation for you. It's not found in believing the Bible, but having that as your source, your authority for salvation. We all long for salvation. We long for it maybe in our kids. Our kids can become our salvation or our marriages can become our salvation or our jobs, or being sophisticated is what we think will save us, or being technological, or whatever, making it today. At some point, you have an authoritative word, that you have sort of a, a, a bottom line, that you have believed, this is what tells me about life. And, and if it's not the Bible, what is it? Where are you getting your information Maybe it's CNN or Fox or the Religious Studies Department or Oprah, Street or the Internet. Somewhere, there are reasons to believe that this is true. Now, I think it's more than true. I think it's inspired and inerrant and infallible. Even if it's just true, it teaches us about a Savior who you can trust in. Who is the word? That is good news for you and for me. I'd ask you to read it for yourself and to trust in it and enter into it and enter into conversations with those real authentic conversations. I want to close with a, a story of a, that I've heard before about a, a guy who was uh, poor and destitute, really, and someone gave him a Bible, a New Testament. 
And the reason he was so excited was he wanted to roll his own cigarettes. And so he had paper. And so the way he did it is he would take that New Testament, and he started in Matthew, and he'd read a page, roll his cigarette, smoke the first page of Matthew. After that got done, wait a little bit, read the second page, smoke the second page of Matthew. And he smoked the New Testament, right? Until he got to the book of John. And he started smoking John and was converted by the message of the gospel that he had never read and never heard for himself. And it moved from being just something to something incredible and transformative. And the Bible has that power in lies. And you can hear that story again and again and again. And I would ask you to submit yourself to that story, the story of the gospel of a redeemer that we can find in these pages of Jesus himself. Maybe you don't have to smoke your way through it, but however it is for you to read it, to see the beauty of our Savior, the beauty that we are going to talk about now here at the table of one who came and lived and died for you. Friends, there is a response for you today. Some of us grown up in churches where, where every week there was a response where you came forward and you gave your life to Christ or you rededicated your life. This table is that response for you today. You will be, in a few moments, asked to stand up and to declare an action. And you can choose to do it or not do it. And to be honest, you could choose to fake it. None of us would really know. This is a table, though, for Christians. And I would ask that if you don't believe that you are a sinner and that you are saved by grace alone... If you don't believe that, then what this table is saying would not be true of you. And so I would ask you to remain seated for for these moments. And no one will think ill of you. Actually think you're a person of integrity. But why? Why would you resist Christ? Why would you stay in your sin and in in your sadness? This this isn't a table of good people. It's not for the good folks among us. There are no good folks among us, are there? No. This is a table for bad people. It's a table for sinners, but ones who are clinging to the gospel itself, clinging to those, those words that we hold so dear that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we don't have to clean our lives up in order to come to this table. God accepts us, the unrighteous, and he has made himself unrighteous so that we could be righteous. He is the sacrifice so that we could be made whole and made right. And so we don't have confidence in ourselves. No, we have confidence in Christ. And so you may come to one of the stations with tears and in sadness and even in doubt but you can lift your head high because your confidence is in Christ, not in your own faith. And we take these elements to ourselves. We don't just look at them up here on the table and say, cool, yeah, beautiful. No, we eat them. 
by faith and they enter into our lives. The word made flesh, his body, his blood for you today. Let's pray.